You never forget your first official job. I was working at a little produce place. as a stock boy, earning like six bucks an hour, making pyramids of apples and oranges, recycling fresh grapes to the back of the pile, and pulling the day-old stuff to the front. Lots of trips back and forth to the freezer, unloading trucks, going home smelling like tomatoes, corn, and cigarette smoke from my fellow employees hacking darts on their brakes. I wish I knew what was going on in the manager's head when he decided to hire me, a 15-year-old kid, no prior work experience. I wish I still had the resume that I brought into that place and how sad it must have been. I probably had hard worker, team player on my list of qualifications. Up until that point, my greatest contribution to a team, tucking in my jersey into my shorts to look somewhat respectable in uniform with my grade school soccer club, my education, the prestige of passing grade eight, my references, probably my mom. It's fucking embarrassing. Must have been a really sad piece of paper and somewhere a tree died for a really unjust cause. But I guess you don't really need a degree from Harvard to collect buggies and put watermelons in people's trunks. And at that time, I probably didn't know the difference between a yam and a potato or what the hell parsley looked like. But I did know one thing. I liked making money. Up until that point, it was the only thing in my life that was a sure thing. I knew that if I showed up, I did what I was told, that at the end of the week, there would be a fat check with my name on it waiting for me. Born and raised in the city of Windsor, Ontario, at one point considered the black hole of the entire province, things came here to die. The best part is I grew up on the west end of Windsor, which is like the black hole of the black hole. We were by no means poor, but we were far from privileged, and much of my childhood was playing with old toys, wearing secondhand clothes passed down from cousin to cousin. At this job, I actually stole a bike from the neighborhood and would ride this bike to work and stash it in the bushes at a high school across the street. Ironically, it was later stolen from me. But when I had this opportunity to finally make my own money and buy my own things, I couldn't stop. If time equals money, at that point in my life, I had all of the time in the world. I picked up as many shifts as I could. I treated every pay stub like an attempt to break a high score. I wanted to see more hours on that check than the previous one. Because for me, at that time, that money, it meant freedom. I'll never forget the day seeing one of my coworkers get fired. His name was Alex. The manager let him go because he couldn't keep up with the weekend rush. I think I saw him topple a few apple pyramids and basically sacrifice an entire cantaloupe on account of his shitty engineering skills. So when Alex stormed out crying, I remember I had to clean up the fucking mess he made, but it also got me thinking that I was disposable. We all were. And at that age, your brain makes quick rationale of what just happened. You do a good job, you get to keep your job. You don't do a good job, guess what? Someone else is going to do it for you. My first real taste of the real world. I remember after work one night, my manager came up to us and he told us to get in the dumpster. We looked at each other like, what the fuck? He handed us some folded up cardboard boxes and he said, take these and get in the fucking dumpster. Turns out they would make the stock boys do this once or twice a month. The business had to pay for the city to come by with the dump truck when the dumpster got full. So in an attempt to save money, they would pack this dumpster airtight before making that call. 
We would use these cardboard pieces like floorboards. You toss them into the dumpster, then you get inside and you jump on them like some kind of homeless person's trampoline, essentially compacting everything underneath, trying to flatten it all out as much as possible. Now, this is a produce place. So you can imagine the shit that's in the dumpster, right? It's not like a dumpster at the back of a Staples where you're jumping on office supplies and paper. Think of the things that you can buy in a grocery store, but it's rotting. It's like jumping around in a vegetable and fruit cemetery. All I remember is the buzzing of fruit flies in my ear and being sticky and smelling like a dead body or dead bodies at the end of these romping parties. You remember Denzel Washington in Train Day, his character Alonzo would say, you want to go to jail or do you want to go home? In this case, it was more like, you want to go home or do you want to go to the bank? And that's the way I looked at it. At that point, the biggest lesson I had learned was that sometimes you just have to get your hands dirty and do what other people are not willing to do in order to get paid. At that point in my life, getting paid meant I was moving forward in this world. I never had money and now I did. It could be a dumpster. It could be getting up earlier than the rest of the people in the world. It could mean staying late, learning to create some kind of feng shui while you sit there in the trenches, being willing to outwork people. None of these things are God-given talents. They're literally just choices that any of us can make. When's the last time you did something uncomfortable so that you could live more comfortably? When was the last time you just sat in it? And I don't mean like sitting on your ass and complaining. That's called being lazy. I'm talking about going through something difficult and embracing the process so that you have something to celebrate at the end. You ever put one of those 5,000 piece puzzles together where all the pieces look exactly the same? And at the end, the picture is like this image of the fucking ocean where every single piece is just a different shade of blue. Once you start that thing, You can't stop. It's frustrating lining up every piece just to find out that it doesn't work. But man, when you get some momentum and things start coming together and you start to see the bigger picture, you forget that you pulled out all your hair in the process and you can revel in the end product. It's just work. It's labor. It doesn't even have to be physical, but mental work. Work hard, live easy. Our motto since day one. Now, I'm not a huge believer in destiny. I am, however, a big believer that we get to choose our own fate. Our personal stories unravel the way that they do because of the choices that we decide to make. Life is like a cruel choose-your-own-adventure novel. Sometimes you make the wrong choices and you burn for it, but string together enough of the right ones and it can lead you toward a pretty happy ending. I don't think I was destined to be here or destined to be a business owner. I played the best hands with the cards that I was dealt and it led me here. I didn't predict this in the forecast or ever have dreams of being in the position that I am in now. I just took opportunities when they presented themselves and eventually create a code that I stuck by, which is the simple notion that the harder that you work, the less you complain, the easier and more enjoyable your life can ultimately be. At the end of the day, you can't enjoy the fruits of your labor without the fucking labor part. The workhorse brand officially started over a decade ago in the dungeon of a university gym, but the workhorse lifestyle started that day in the dumpster, in the shit, and I stand by it because the mentality is applicable to everything. 
Fitness training is just one avenue where we get to practice this philosophy. The idea of getting stronger, building your durability, your work capacity, changing your aesthetic, improving your health markers, it's all work. But the real functional training is in its application outside of the gym. All of those things take time. They take dedication, discipline. And when you practice this in the gym, you can do it in other areas of your life. Your family, your career, your relationships, it's all work, but with very meaningful, fulfilling results on the other side. Welcome to Workhorse Radio, a station for the nation where conversation can hopefully give birth to motivation, education, and insight. Rocket fuel to expedite the results in your journey, and maybe the kick in the pants that you need to take ownership of your life. This will be a sounding board for all things that surround what we call our growth triangle the foundation of which our brand is built on. This includes the evolution of the coach, the evolution of the client, and ultimately the evolution of our culture. It is in our hopes that we can use this as a resource, whether you are a coach, a potential client in the community, or just someone who enjoys the culture of what it is that we do. Eventually, I will be joined by my co-host and co-coach, Mr. Dylan Holmes, But since the pandemic has made that step very difficult, I will kick things off solo since so many of you are getting impatient with my shenanigans. Now, in order for you guys to jump on the ride to where we are going, you have to understand and know where we came from. Consider this episode the origin stories of Workhorse and how we came to be. That produce place I spoke of, it eventually closed and I did some odd end jobs before finding a job as a busboy at a local restaurant. I worked the ladder there for a long time, going from a busboy to a server, server to bartender, bartender to catering. I had spent so much time there, my dress shoes had grown roots in the place. The stories I could tell you that you guys from this place would be a story in a league of its own podcast. But all you need to know for the sake of this one is that I worked that job for what seemed like a lifetime. I told myself I would quit so many times, but the money was just so good that I stayed. I mean, as good as it can be. Not good enough to buy me my own vehicle, that's for sure. So entering my first year of university made it quite difficult to continue working at this restaurant. It would take me an hour to walk to work, an hour to walk back. And after receiving 30% on my first university exam, I realized that I needed to buckle down and get serious with studying if I was going to make it through this four-year degree. Now, funny enough, most people think I was this, this health fanatic, and to be completely honest, I didn't even want to go to university, let alone go to university for kinesiology. My goal after high school was to go to college and take film. I wanted to make movies, not like adult films or anything like that, but you know, just something where I could be more creative and have more fun. At the time though, figuring out my career wasn't based on creativity and fun. It was more or less, what can I do that will make me money and get me the hell out of the west end of Windsor? Until this point, only one person in my family had ever gone to university, so my parents felt like it was necessary for me to do so to up their societal status in our family chain. I went into kinesiology with the dreams of becoming a physiotherapist, and then once I actually found out what they do for a living, I immediately retracted that dream. How I got into fitness was a beautiful mistake. Somewhere on this planet, 
there's someone that I owe my life to. Whoever forgot their personal training specialist textbook and study guide on the desk of one of my first year university courses, you are the sole reason I got into fitness. I remember sitting down and noticing that you left it behind. The prof had no idea who it belonged to and only knew that the textbook didn't pertain to her class, so it was finders keepers. I remember flipping through this textbook, and at the back of the book was a flyer looking for personal trainers at The Forge, which at the time was a newly built gym on campus, which also happened to be directly below where the majority of my university lectures were taking place. My immediate thought was, hey, get this part-time gig, save the time walking back and forth to the restaurant, do better in school, and it's kind of related to what I'm actually studying. Win, win, win. I studied for that personal trainer exam, wrote my test, and was offered a job on the spot. Quitting my job at the restaurant was the catalyst I needed to move forward with the health and fitness field. I started doing personal training, sitting at the front desk of the gym, running group classes. I immersed myself in the fitness industry. I went to workshops, went to seminars. I witnessed the growth of CrossFit, the evolution of step aerobic classes to Zumba, P90X to bodybuilding, the rise of spin bikes, HIT, the world's understanding of the words functional fitness and the creation of balance boards, TRX suspension straps, all of it. Throughout all of this, my prior work gigs had taught me two invaluable lessons to make it in the fitness industry. The produce store taught me to outwork my competition, to work harder than what I was actually being paid for and earning my stripes by doing whatever I needed to do to become the top dog. I wasn't smarter than anybody. I had no real talents. My only superpowers were things that anyone can have. Be thorough, execute, and last longer than everybody else on the floor. Have the best poker face and don't get tired. The restaurant business taught me all of the service skills that I needed. Servers, bartenders, people who talk to people, they make the best coaches. In some cases, I would take a seasoned bartender over an applicant with a master's degree because all the accolades don't mean a damn thing if you can't talk to people, if you can't be likable. Serving in a restaurant is like speed dating. When you get to the table with your new customer, your first impression means everything. It's a way of heightening your sense of awareness. Being able to recognize and then razz the guy about last Sunday's game because you notice him wearing a Detroit Lions jersey or grabbing his three-year-old a Paw Patrol coloring book because you see him holding the toy, you have about 30 seconds to get on their good side, to crack the right jokes, to know the difference between the girls that want the white claws versus the ones that are looking for the wine list and to be able to bring up conversation. It's hard to teach someone to be personable, but when you are a server or a bartender, you can enhance these skills. Why? Because your dip, your tip depends on it. Getting the customer to trust your advice on the catch of the day, that is a skill because you never get the special when it is fish, ever. But either way, I took these skills and I applied them to my new job working as a personal trainer at the university gym. I'd walk around the gym unpaid, asking people if they needed a spot, flaunting my PT uniform just so people knew that I was a personal trainer. And at the time, you kind of have to fake it until you make it. There's no Instagram, there's no Facebook advertising or YouTube at this point. Legitimately, if you want to present yourself, you're doing it live. And again, you get one shot. There's no hiding behind a screen. And I did my time there. 
I picked up my one-on-one clients who till this day I still work with and I remember all of them very, very well. They all taught me some life lessons that I can't wait to share throughout this podcast. But either way, my manager at the time had a boot camp group class that he was running and asked me to help him coach it. I started tagging along, helping with warm-ups, demoing the exercises, whatever. And Adam, wherever you are, if you're listening to this, I want you to know that you gave me the golden ticket to get into the world of group training. Adam eventually got too busy, handed the entire responsibility of this class to me, and all of a sudden, I had seven or eight people to take care of on a consistent basis. Let me tell you that these guys were like lab rats. I was still so green to the game. The people that were in this class endured things that I won't even mention. I I trained these folks like they were the Navy SEALs. And every class wasn't even a test of physical fitness. I just tried to intentionally take their souls. And I think at the time, when bystanders would see us working together, they would be thinking, what the fuck is this? It was different. It was intriguing. I would play, you know, big movie score soundtracks like shit by Hans Zimmer and crank it through the sound system. You could hear tunes from all over the building and it would sound like a live battle from Braveheart or Gladiator was going on in the aerobic room. And I remember thinking to myself, I want these people to feel like they're going to war. People started taking notice. You had some people doing Tai Chi, some people doing step aerobics, there were dance classes, and then you had us. The people that would leave our classes left soaked in sweat, sometimes pissed, sometimes blood, but for whatever reason... It attracted people. The group of seven turned into 14. And then that turned into 30. And eventually we had a group big enough to call a community. Now at the time, we didn't have a name. My manager just called it ACT, which stood for Athletic Circuit Training. When I took it over, it became more like Satan's Masochist Hour. But we still didn't have an official name. Until one day, I had the group outside. We were doing one of our benchmark workouts called the Wilhelm Circuit. It was named after Lauren Wilhelm, one of my OG clients. She used to be an absolute machine on the stadium stairs. She would not tire. I would watch her fly up and down flights of stairs for an hour straight and she never slowed down. Now this workout was 10 burpees, 20 push-ups, 30 air squats, followed by a 400 meter run, and then one round of stairs up and down the entire stadium. We would do this for an hour. It was fucking terrible. But every single time we did it, I always thought someone might die. So one day we're doing this workout. A guy's walking his dog, happened to notice us, and just started watching. So when I was coming around the track, he waved me over and he asked me, what are you guys training for? And up until that point, I had never stated exactly why we were doing any of the things that we were doing. I had all these people following me, like a cult, drinking the juice, without ever telling them what was on the other side. I remember thinking to myself, fuck, I don't actually know. I looked at him and I said, we aren't training for anything. We're just working out. And he was in such disbelief. He said, you have all these fucking people killing themselves out here and you guys aren't training for anything. I looked around and I saw the faces of heat exhaustion, people dying. And I replied, yep. And he laughed and said, y'all are some fucking workhorses and then walked away. I thought to myself, Workhorse. I like that. Definition of workhorse. A horse that is primarily used for labor. A hardworking person. Something that is markedly useful, durable, dependable. 
a term that can be used to describe a person or a machine that can be relied upon to do a tremendous amount of work. After I picked up all the bodies that day on the field, we officially became the workhorse lifestyle. Our mantra became work hard, live easy. The idea that sweat, like liquid gold, and the more you pour out of your body through hard labor, the richer you can ultimately become. Fitness became a vehicle for our community to do things outside of the gym. We had members passing physical testing for policing, fire, RCMP. We had athletes picking up full-ride scholarships to universities stateside and across the province. We had members rehabbing from injuries, car crashes, concussions, broken bones, everybody getting their life back through physical activity. The most important element was just building a tough mindset. If these people could go through the fire that I was putting them through on a daily basis, it would naturally increase their chances of getting through real hardships in life. Now, suffering has this unique quality to bring people together. And these guys suffered a lot. The small community that I had created instilled this bond, one that I still have very close ties to until this day. And our emphasis on community started here and it would shape my business and everything that we ultimately stand for. I continued building and growing this group throughout my university years. And by the end of my schooling, we had built quite the cult following, eventually getting too big. We were traveling in mobs of people, and any time we entered the university gym, we monopolized all the equipment and the space. And I'm not going to lie, people fucking hated us. There would be a guy waiting to use a bench press, and he would ask me how many sets I have left. And my answer would sometimes be like 60 sets. I've got 15 people with me, and they're each going to do four each. So <laughs> up until this point, it never really crossed my mind to do this as a career. I had just finished my kinesiology degree. I wanted nothing to do with what everybody else was doing. We were quickly outgrowing the space at the university with my part-time gig, and I wasn't ready to break all the bonds I had made with my clients. So I thought, you know what? I already have the following. Fuck it. Let's open up my own gym. No business degree. No business experience. I didn't even take a business class in university. I didn't know anything about running my own business. And on top of that, I'm an Asian that's fucking terrible at math. But guess what? I scraped it all together. All the cash under my mattress from the years of jumping in dumpsters at the produce store. All the years of getting tips from sweet talking the old divorcees at the restaurant. And all the years, all the money I'd managed to save from my personal training. We opened up our first location in the center of the city. I remember showing my parents the building. They tried to talk me out of it. They couldn't see what my vision was and didn't understand how I would ever make it. In CrossFit, they referred to gyms as boxes, and this facility was legitimately a box. There were no windows, block walls so you could feel everything in the wintertime. Place didn't breathe, so in the summer, it was a sauna. There was a sewage grate in the middle of the floor that would reek every once in a while. We used to remove the rubber flooring sometimes and make people rope climb over it. There was a giant ceiling uh, spot heater in the back that we would turn on in the wintertime and the odor that it emitted would actually burn your lungs. It was not a prestigious facility, but by God damn it, it was ours and it was home. Eventually, we expanded from that building and opened up another 1,500 square feet right next door and our community started to grow. We went with 50 people to 100, grew it from 100 to 150. We would eventually outgrow the parking lot space and then moved yet again into the building that we're currently in right now. Now, we proudly service over 250 members, both in and outside of the city. 
It has been over a decade of learning as you go. Trial and error, fucking things up, making mistakes, capitalizing on opportunities and meeting a boatload of really, really awesome people. I know a lot about a little. The things that happen in these four walls, it's our jam. You ask me about politics, religion, intergalactic travel, I won't have anything for you. But if it's gym related, community incentives, we've been feeding that animal for plus 10 years. With it comes a wealth of experience that I'm excited to share with all of you who are willing to listen. This podcast will outline all of the tragedies, all of the triumphs of a kid from the west end of Windsor just trying to make it. As lost a soul as a lost soul can be, I will speak of my journey from nothing to something, finding purpose in life, while trying to fulfill the role of a son, a brother, a husband, a father, and an owner of something much, much bigger than fitness. Strap in, y'all. It's going to be a fun ride. This is Workhorse Radio.